want you to imagine, imagine you're in this situation, okay? You live in a land that has been taken over by invaders, okay? And they, what they did was they came in and they, they destroyed the city that you live in and they took you to their land. You are in exile in their land, okay? And, and, and you have not been back to your home in many years. In fact, they may have even taken your parents, and you've never actually been to the city that you, your family is from. You have grown up in this foreign land that is not where, you, uh, where your family is supposed to live and where your family normally lives. Now, you have a pretty good job. You work for a very powerful man. All right, you work for a very powerful man, but but the city that you would consider home has been utterly and totally destroyed. And God puts a call on your life. He, he says, you know what, I want you to go back and I want you to begin rebuilding your city. Okay, I want you to begin rebuilding your city. And you're like, okay, God, I'm going to do that thing that you've put on my life, but you've got to go ask your boss, this very powerful man, for permission and for some money so that you can go and do this. That's where we find a guy named Nehemiah. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah as we, as we dig into the word. And, and Nehemiah, that's, that's his story. His family is originally from Jerusalem. He's in exile in, uh, in Babylon, and he works for the king. He's the cupbearer to the king, which means he literally brings the king his cup, okay? That's literally what Nehemiah's job was. He was kind of like the butler for the president, you know? Okay, he is, he's got a he works right near the king, the most powerful guy in the whole area. But, but, and God puts this call on his life to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild this city that has been destroyed. But he's got to go to the king for permission. Right, we're going to start in chapter 2, starting in verse 2. So we're going to begin actually reading the scripture. And it says this. It says, So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So the king sees that he's, he's pretty sad, but he's not sick. He says, okay, you might, this can only be sadness of heart. And Nehemiah says, but I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, Jerusalem, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. And that was Nehemiah 2, verses 2 through 5. Now, in this series we're beginning tonight, in a three-week series going through the month of October, called Monster, with the subtitle, What Are You Afraid Of? And that's what we're going to be talking about, is fear. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about fear, because all of us are afraid of things. You may not be afraid of the dark like you were when you were a little kid. Maybe you are. Maybe you still sleep with the nightlight on. There's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, we all have certain things that we're afraid of. I am afraid of heights, because I'm smart, right? I don't like to be up high, particularly. I know that Taylor doesn't freak you out, and that's weird, but, you know, like, just... Yeah, I don't like heights, but we all have certain things that we are afraid of. And in this instance, Nehemiah here was afraid to ask this of the king because he knew what the king could do. The problem was he didn't know what the king would do. Right? He knew the king had every, had every ability to have his head chopped off right there at the dinner table. Like, he could just be like, hey, you, kill him. And somebody would have come over and just taken Nehemiah out right there for even asking the question. We know that 
Throughout the Old Testament, the, the kings of the, the, these nations that had Israel in exile were very powerful. Of course, if you know the story of Esther, Esther was a young lady who was, she was the queen. She was, she had power too, but even she, if she went to the king without him calling for her, he could have her killed. Yeah, and that was the queen. Imagine if, the, imagine if Michelle Obama couldn't go see President Obama unless he called her or else he could have her killed, right? That's, that's right where Esther was. And so that was the kind of power that this king had. Of course, we know the book of Daniel also, in, also takes place in Babylon. He threw the three guys into the fire, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Threw them into the fire. And uh, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I know. Uh, threw them into the fire just because they wouldn't bow down to his thing. So these kings had all kinds of power. But what... Nehemiah was afraid of was because he didn't know what the king was going to do, how the king was going to react. And sometimes that's what we're most afraid of is we're afraid of the unknown. It's really easy to, you know, when we know what the, what's going to happen, to be confident and we don't have to be afraid. You know, if you're going to do a test, you're like, I studied, I got this stuff down. You're not afraid because it's not unknown, it's known. You know the answers, right? You know the material. And so you say, you know what, I got this test on lockdown. But if you haven't been paying attention, you didn't do your homework and you didn't study, that's fear of the unknown right there. You're like, Lord, please let me remember all those things I did not study. God, please let me remember the stuff I wasn't paying attention during, which doesn't make any sense, but I've prayed that prayer before too. So when we know what's coming, we don't have to be afraid. When we don't know what's coming, we have the fear of the unknown. And that's what the movie clip is about. You're like, what does this have to do with Monsters, Inc.? I got you. There's a, there is a connection, I promise. You see, in Monsters, Inc., they don't know. They think that a human will kill a monster. Like that little bit, you know, the little child, just by touching the monster, can kill them, which is why when the kid's sock got stuck on the monster, they flip out, right? 2319, 2319, the hazmat guys, and they shave the thing, and all the deal, right? It's because they don't know any better. They think, as far as they know, that sock could be the death of that monster and everybody else, right? It's fear of the unknown, because they're like, I don't know what this sock is going to do, but it might kill me. So I better take care of it. That's right where Nathaniel was. If you can, you know, yes, I just compared Nathaniel to Monsters Inc. Or, uh, Nehemiah to Monsters Inc. Okay, it's a stretch, but I, but I think I got there. You see, Nehemiah didn't know what was going to happen when he went to the king and said, "King, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to rebuild the city. I need some money. I need some time off. Will you help me out?" But. And I don't have the scripture in, in the U version on the scripture. If you go or on the screen, but if you keep going in Nehemiah, the king says, You got it. I'll give you I'll give you the time off. I'll give you some money. I'll give you some some things that'll get you some some goods, you know, some some coupons kinda, you know, like, hey, you can go to this guy, he'll give you all the wood you need. You go to this guy, he'll give you some 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 workers to take with you. And so the king shows favor to Nehemiah. But before all that happened, verse three Verse 2 said, I was very much afraid. So how did Nehemiah overcome the fear of the unknown? He didn't know what the king was going to do. He didn't know what the king was going to say. But he overcame that anyways, and he went ahead and he did what God put on his life. Let's, let's, let's go backwards. We've got to go back in the story to find that out. We've got to go backwards to Nehemiah chapter 1 to get a little answer on how Nehemiah got over that fear. First off, he had a passion inside of him. God had given him a passion. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. You see, Nehemiah had heard that the city was destroyed. He had heard, you know, imagine, imagine something that you love 
and you weren't there to stop it, and it got destroyed. Okay? Imagine a fire happened at your house, and your favorite thing in the world, whatever your favorite material possession is, got burned up, and there was nothing you could do about it. That's where Nehemiah is at right now. He's like, you know what, God? You know, I'm supposed to be in Jerusalem. Our family history is in Jerusalem. You know, the people of Israel, that was the seat of the people of Israel. They were supposed to be there, but it had gotten destroyed. And so Nehemiah was very upset about that. There was a passion inside of him for that, for the city. And so he had this passion, this God-birthed passion inside of him. And I tell you what, when you're passionate about something, you'll do crazy things for it. Okay, you've heard stories, I've heard stories about mothers who their kids get trapped under a car and the adrenaline rush is so crazy in them that they can pick up that car enough for that kid to roll out and then they drop the car back. And these, you know, these insane superhuman things that when we're passionate about something, we will do anything for that. Okay, just, just yesterday, this morning, even my mom tagged me in a thing on Facebook, whatever, a little picture of a Boston Terrier, okay? We had a little Boston Terrier when I was growing up. His name was Conine. was named after a baseball player. We got him when I was in fourth or fifth grade, and we had him until I was out of college. So he lived like 15 years, I think it was. Um, and I tell you what, that, that dog was a third kid to my mom. Like, it was Tony, Wes, Conine. In fact, sometimes... We even got called Conine. You know, your parents ever get your names mixed up with, with the brothers and sisters. That's one thing. When they get it mixed up with the dog, that's a whole different one. But we got called Conine every once in a while. And man, I tell you what, if there had ever been a fire in our house, my mother would have, and, and the four of us were safe, my mother would have absolutely risked her life to go inside and get Conine. Okay? She just would have. I know she would have because that's how much she loved that dog. When you're passionate about something, you, are, you're, you know, you, you'll do anything for it. Okay, and so, so he's so passionate over this thing that when he finds out how bad the city has been destroyed, he, he sat down and wept. You ever been in that place where you could just do nothing but sit down and cry? Right? Taylor Swift style, just, you know, I don't know why I'm on a Taylor Swift kick tonight. But uh, you, just, you, just, you just have to cry, you know? And, and so then the question becomes for y'all tonight, how this bless you, what are you that passionate about? Okay, it's not a, a decimal talker question. I want you to think in your mind, not say it loud, but what are you that passionate about? What is it that if you found out something had happened to it or it got taken away from you, you would literally sit down and weep over? What is that thing for you? See, God puts passion in our life for a reason. You've heard me talk about, you know, if you want to know what, what God's call is on your life, one of the ways to kind of get there is what are you passionate about? You know, God puts passions in, in our lives for a reason. For me, it's music and you guys. Like, just, you know, working with you guys, hanging out with you guys, teaching you about just teaching you about the Bible. That is my passion. You know, that is what God has put inside of me as a passion. We all have passions. It might be for a sport. It might be for a class. It might be for academics. That's cool, too. It might be for a specific class. I've said a million times, if I wasn't a musician of some kind or a pastor of some kind, I would have been a history teacher because I loved my history classes. That was like the next thing that I liked. That my favorite academic class was history. And so for me, those are the kind of things. But for you, what are you passionate about? about. That's the first thing that helped Nehemiah overcome the fear of the unknown was that he had a passion for this thing and it didn't matter what was happening, he was going to go ahead and follow his passion.
Here's the second thing, is that, and this is going to be super Sunday school about it, but it's true, he was in right relationship with God. Okay, going again, back to Nehemiah 1.4, it says he sat down and wept, and then it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know what, he said, you know what, I've got this passion for this thing, but before I can do something about it, I better get in touch with God about it, okay? He said, you know what, before I can get to work, I better get to praying, and I better spend some time seeking the face of God. And I better get to know for sure what his will is. So I'm going to fast. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to spend a lot of time. And, and I don't have the scripture up, but it was weeks, okay? He spent weeks fasting and praying over the city of Jerusalem. And said, so, you know what, God? You've put this passion in me, but I want to find out what your will is for this situation. And so I'm going to get with you. I'm going to know what, what it is that you want. He prays a long prayer. Most of Nehemiah chapter 1 or the second half of it is this prayer. I'm going to check one thing in particular in 1 verses 6. It says, I confess the sins we Israel including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Okay? So if your prayers are not effective, the question then becomes, have you been living righteously? Have you repented of your sins? Are you in walking in relationship with Jesus? Because Nehemiah knows that. Before he can begin to ask for things, he says, God, I'm sorry for the things that my relatives did. Not himself, he did. He wasn't there when the Israelites had turned against God back in Jerusalem, but he's apologizing and repenting for the sins that the Israelites as a whole, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Nehemiah knew that before he could begin to ask for things, he had to repent and he had to get right. And we talked about that when we talked about the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago. If you remember that, that, uh, that message that before we ask for our daily bread, we put God first and we, rep- we forgive, forgive us of our sins, then we go to ask for daily bread. We got to get right with Jesus before we can face the things we're afraid of with his help. See, he wants us to face those things, but we got to get right with him before, before we do it or else it's going to go badly. And then, it, and then back to chapter 2, the king said to me, what do you want? So he's faced his fear. The king said, what do you want? And then he's going to pray again just for good measure. He said, you know what? I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I told the king what I want if you read through verse 5. So he said, you know what? I prayed beforehand. Um, now I'm here. That was the preparation. Now I'm here. Um, it's game time. I'm in the situation. I'm going to pray again just to make sure before I ask the king for what it is I need. You see, I think all of us probably have things that are unknown in our future. Okay, you know, we think, what, some of you guys are at the age, you're thinking about what college am I going to go to? I remember that. I told you all a little bit of my story about that. You know, when I was in college, there was two different schools I was looking at, basically. It was either Florida State or South Florida. And, you know, it was hard, and I had to pray about it, and I had to, I had to think through it and pray through it and take advice from people who I respected, and, and God put me in the right situation. But, you know, you, some of y'all are at that point. Some of you guys are just, you're still trying to get used to a new school. Okay, you might still be trying to get used to, you know, I don't even know what's going on in your life. New classes. I know we're about eight, six weeks in or eight weeks in, whatever it is. But, you know, whatever the unknown is, whatever there's something you say, I don't know how this situation is going to turn out. You may not know. You may not know how your family, so you say, you know what, our family's going through a struggle right now, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. You may say, my parents or my dad is looking for a job, but I don't know how that's going to turn out. You might say, you know, there's all kinds of things that, that are unknown in our lives. I've been there. 
Okay? My go-to reference for me, I don't know who my wife's going to be yet. And it's kind of ticking me off, frankly. All right, I'm 28. I'm like, God, what the heck? Why is this still unknown? I figured I'd be married and had a kid by now. Here I am, 28 and a half. Why is this still unknown, God? And I don't know the answer to that yet, but I know this. If I'm in a relationship with Jesus, and, 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 and I know God has given me a passion to have a family, I want to have a family, and I want to have a wife, then I know, you know, so what? God's going to take those things, and he's going to work it. Okay, he's going to put it together in his time. And I may not see the end of the story yet. I haven't read the last page of the book, but I know that God's got it in his hand as long as I am prepared. I'm, I'm in a relationship with him. You see, and this is going to be a verse that comes back throughout this series. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid. It is not a spirit of fear, but it is of power and love and self-discipline. See, when we get afraid, that's not God. Okay, God does not want us to be afraid. God, that is not his desire for us. When he sent the Holy Spirit, that's what Paul is writing to Timothy here. He's referring to the Holy Spirit when he says the Spirit God gave us. He said the Holy Spirit does not give us fear, does not make us timid, but instead it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's what the Holy Spirit is for, to give us power in situations and to give us love and to give us self-discipline. See, when we're self-disciplined, we don't have to be afraid of what's coming. Well, you know, when, when you are prepared, you don't have to be afraid. Okay, this past week, uh, you know, if most a lot of you guys were at the night of worship Saturday night, and Russell's leading worship. And I love Russell. Russell is a wonderful worship leader, but Russell does not pick lists out early. Okay? Russell tends to pick, Russell picked the, the set for Sunday morning on Sunday morning. Like, that's just how Russell rolls. And, and you know what? If our band was not good, that would have worried me. But I knew that our band is good, and, we were, and even though we didn't know what songs he was going to pick, we were prepared because we had our skills and we knew our chords and you know that kind of thing, and we were going to be able to play whatever songs he, he threw at us because we were prepared, because we had self-discipline. We had been practicing, and the band had been working together on all kinds of songs, and so I knew that that morning when Russell showed up and he picked some songs, we were going to be okay because we were self Disciplined, And so, if you're afraid of the unknown, and we all are, it's natural for us to wonder what is going to happen in the future. We don't know how any given situation is going to turn out. When you get to that point, all you can do is prepare by being in a relationship with God, following the passions that He has put in your heart, and knowing that if you're in His footsteps, if you're in His protection, the unknown doesn't have to, doesn't have to scare us. Angela uses the analogy of her to talk about how the will of God is like an umbrella. And I'll close with this. The will of God is like an umbrella in that if you're under the protection of the umbrella, you don't get wet. Right? If you're under the protection of the umbrella, you don't get wet. But then when you're out of the protection of the umbrella, you get wet. Of God's like they were like God. How come? How come you're not? You know? How come you're not keeping? How come I'm going through this problem? Sometimes the reason we're going through that problem is because we're outside the will of God. God said, "Hey, if you get back where I told you to go, you wouldn't be having that issue, now would you?" And I've been there. We've probably all been there at some point. And so tonight, that's where I want to leave tonight at, is that it is right here. If you are in the will of God, you know the passion that God has put in your life. And you say, sometimes it's hard to follow the will of God. Well, you know, I don't know the specifics. That's true. But you know what? If you know the passions that God has put in your life, 
and you're following those, and you know that you're in a relationship with Him, and I think most of you guys know, all of you know what that means, kind of when I say you're in a relationship with Him. If you got those things, we don't have to be afraid of the unknown. We don't have to worry about the end of, of this particular chapter of our story. We know that God has got it. God is in control and we can't see it. So I want to pray for you guys and I want you to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes and begin to think about what is the unknown thing in your life. What is that unknown? And then begin to ask yourself, have I done what I need to to prepare? Have I stayed in the will of God? Is my relationship with Him right? Am I doing something that I know goes contradictory to what He has called me to do or what He wants me to be pursuing? Heavenly Father, God, right now, I just lift up these students to You. God, I pray right now that You would begin to show them your will. If they're wondering, say, I don't know what's going, what, what God's will is, I pray that you begin to reveal it to them. Lord, I pray that they would begin to repent of sin, Lord, that they would begin to come back to you if they have strayed. Lord, they would begin to, to seek you afresh. It's been several weeks since we even had a regular youth service, let alone since we went to camp several months and those kind of things. And so tonight, God, let it be an opportunity for us to repent. Not that we can only do that here, Lord, but that this is a, a great place for it to happen, that that's why we have this time is to, to seek after your face. And so I pray that we as a body, as a, as a youth group, Lord, would repent of our sins and would seek after you tonight. God, that we would know your face better than we did this morning and tomorrow we would know you better than we did today and Friday we would know you better than tomorrow and God, that relationship with you would be what gives us the confidence to face the unknown God when, when we can't see the end of the tunnel Lord you have not given us a spirit of fear God but of power and love and of self-discipline and so tonight God we rely on the on the Holy Spirit to give us those things God and we we just want to depend on you Lord God right now you would begin to restore students, Heavenly Father, who have been dealing with this, the spirit of fear, Lord. They're, they might be afraid to talk to that one friend about you. They might be afraid to, to stand up to the bully. They might be afraid to, to, just, to just live as you would call them to, Lord. They might be afraid just to stand out. God, but we know that you have told us in Matthew that, that many people would fall away from you, God, that the road that leads to you would be narrow and few would find it. And Lord, we know that you have called us to stand out. You have called us a peculiar people, Lord. God, and so I pray right now confidence on these students to stand up to the crowd, to not just go along with what everybody else is going along with, Heavenly Father, but to, to stand up and to be the children of God that you have called them to be. God, that you would be the source of strength. 
like the psalmist said, it's not by our might, not by our power, but by your spirit that anything gets accomplished in this world. And so, God, I just pray over these students tonight, Lord. Let them not leave here afraid to live according to your will and to your word, Lord, but fill them with a spirit of boldness. Fill them with a confidence to go into that hallway, to go into that classroom, to go into that that field or that, that court or that extracurricular activity, Lord, standing up for you and standing out and not sliding in with the crowd, but instead standing up for you, Heavenly Father. God, we know that you have good plans for us and that you want the best for us. And so tonight, we, God, we just thank you for that. God, I pray that you would bless these students, bless their schoolwork, bless their health, bless their physical bodies, bless their relationships, bless their family situations, God. God, that they would be blessed in you and because of you. God, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.